foreign invasion. So yes, he can send the national military down to protect the border. I'm glad he's doing that. It's a strong stance. It must be taken because we simply cannot tolerate the continued invasion of this country when Americans are suffering every day. The national debt is exploding. We have diseases spreading across the country that are causing polio-like paralysis of our children. It's one thing after the well, other. So you, you can't very well blame uh, that uh, disease on illegal immigrants. We don't know the cause of it. Uh, I don't know that that's, uh, I don't think that's fair. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, but there are plenty of reasons to keep this uh, country secure, uh, including including making sure that everyone uh, is healthy when they're brought into the country without question. Right? Is that fair? Uh, that is fair, but that right. is part of the problem. We don't know where the diseases are coming from. Well, that's, uh, you know what, uh, I think that... Uh... This is Off Baseline. I'm Nate Staley. Since I've last done a podcast, kind of a lot has happened and a lot of it bad or at least emotionally exhausting. There were the Kavanaugh hearings with a national discussion on a culture of perpetuating and permitting sexual violence. There's been a domestic terrorist mailing bombs to high-profile political opponents. The deadliest hate crime against Jews in American history a midterm election cycle that has been especially vicious and has profound implications for national politics as a whole. There's a caravan of migrant families that are, frankly, trying to escape conditions that the U.S. has largely facilitated and has an ability to address. Uh, President Trump has been using this and other things to stoke the flames of paranoia and panic and Melania Trump wore some Indiana Jones clothes so lots of things happen in our 2018 hellscape uh, lots to potentially discuss and uh, hope you're all registered to vote already in the state that you're listening from um, and if so don't forget to vote November 6th if you need information on polling locations or uh, need to check your registration status, you can Google, where is my polling place? And uh, I think Google has built into their search results an address box to type in. Facebook, I think, does something similar. Um, you might also check your state state's uh, Secretary of State Office website to verify registration and check into things like voter ID laws. Here in Missouri, it's a federal or state-issued uh, ID, like a passport, driver's license, a student ID will also work. Um, or you can use a copy of uh, a current utility bill, a bank statement, a paycheck, uh, a government check, or some other government document that contains your uh, name and mailing, mailing address. An interesting issue... Um, that we encounter with some of the clients that I in the population I work with is uh, that being homeless does not mean that you can't vote. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, you know, it should. <laughs> like, that shouldn't be a reason that you shouldn't have a voice just because the system um, screwed you over and, and you're homeless. 
Uh, in those cases, uh, a precinct is determined based on the address of uh, uh, a shelter or day treatment program. So you can have uh, have a registration um, set to those places um, with their permission, of course. And there are so many primary and secondary ways that elections and public policy affect homelessness, poverty, income, health care. It's not the end-all, be-all, um, and I've been a skeptic of electoral politics throughout my life. In uh, 2012, I wrote in my deceased grandfather uh, for president, and um, I also had fairly different politics back then. It's a strategic tool at our disposal, voting is, to contribute to the shaping of the kind of society that we want. Do I think activism, organizing, engaging important discussion, discussions, drawing others into the process is just as, if not more important? Absolutely. But hey, still vote. But I'll start in the confessional booth. Uh, this show has pretty much dropped off in the past few months. There, there's been a variety of reasons for that. Mostly personal in nature. Uh, the show is made from the ex- excess of time that I am able to extract from my day-to-day life. And in the past couple of months, that has been completely non-existent. Um, among other contributing factors are poor work-life balance, um, a strange health episode that doctors still haven't really been able to diagnose. Um, basically my fingers stopped working. Um, no, I don't think it's MS and, um, no, I'm don't think it's polio, but I have no idea. Um, it's better now though, for now and, uh, worsening mental health. My anxiety has been fairly high throughout adulthood, but has ballooned in the past couple of years to the level of panic attacks poor concentration, poor sleep, and general restlessness. And no, the news cycle doesn't help either. Um, So looking at when I reviewed sort of my medical records from a recent doctor's visit, um, I noticed that they had put generalized anxiety disorder, which is what I figured. It's what I do, so I also spend a good amount of time self-diagnosing. So I'm more aggressively addressing that now uh, through what is most often the effective, the most effective strategy to treat anxiety and depression, a combination of therapy, medication, opening yourself up to your support system to the degree that you're comfortable, and uh, increasing self-care. So I figured I'd share that. Not only does it function as a reasonable, excused absence from this podcast, um, but despite all the information out there, stigma still persists, and mental health does uh, need to be able to have the same parity in our national global healthcare discussion. So while I'm a fairly private person, I have no problem with that level and category of self-disclosure. And for someone listening, I hope it's helpful. 
trudge along through the turmoil. I want to say a word about a word, and that word is fascism. I happen to know the facts. My friends, I'm just an average American, but I'm an American-American, and some of the things I see in this country of ours make my blood boil. I see people with foreign money. I see Negroes holding jobs that belong to me and you. Now I ask you, if we allow this thing to go on, what's going to become of us real Americans? I've heard this kind of talk before, but I never expected to hear it in America. This fellow seems to know what he's talking about. What are we real Americans going to do about it? You'll find it right here in this little pamphlet. The truth about Negroes and foreigners. The truth about the Catholic Church. Do you believe in that kind of talk? I don't know. It makes pretty good sense to me. And I tell you, friends, we'll never be able to call this country our own until it's a country without. Without what? Yeah, without what? Without Negroes. Without alien foreigners. Without Catholics. Without Freemasons. You know What's wrong with the Masons? I'm a Mason. Hey, that fellow's talking about me. And that makes a difference, doesn't it? These are your enemies. These are the people who are trying to take over our country. Now you know them. You know what they stand for. And it's up to you and me to fight them. Fight them and destroy them before they destroy us. Thank you. Before he said Mason, you were ready to agree with him. Well, yes, but he was talking about... What about those other people? But in this country, we have no other people. We are American people. What about you? You aren't American, right? I was born in Hungary, but now I am an American citizen. And I have seen what this kind of talk can do. I saw it in Berlin. What were you doing there? I was a professor at the university. I heard the same words we have heard today. But I was a fool then. I thought Nazis were crazy people, stupid fanatics. But unfortunately, it was not so. You see, they knew that they were not strong enough to conquer a unified country. So they split Germany into small groups. They used prejudice as a practical weapon to cripple the nation. Of course, that was not easy to do. They had to work hard to do it. You see, we human beings are not born with prejudices. Always they are made for us. Made by someone who wants something. Remember that when you hear this kind of talk. Somebody is going to get something out of it. And it isn't going to be you. Fascism's been on my mind, and the minds of many lately. Uh, This has been amplified by several recent events, including um, the election of Bolsonaro in Brazil, who, um, after the jailing of Lula da Silva on uh, trumped-up corruption charges, he won his election with a resounding uh, mid-50s percentage vote total. He's called for a cleansing never-before-seen of his left-wing opponents, mass deforestation of the Amazon, uh, has said things like female colleagues were not deserving of his rape um, due to their looks, um, pledges to fight crime with a more militant police force, and of course, despises 
immigrants and anyone who can sort of be defined as the other. Oddly similar in tone to a certain somebody who also recently uh, ascended to power. But figures and rhetoric like this are sprouting up throughout the globe. And I don't like calling it uh, Brazil's Trump or Marie Le Pen uh, being France's Trump or Duterte is the Philippines' Trump. These distinctions aren't just lazy. Uh, they aren't helpful to account for the context of those, those nations and those situations. But na- make no mistake, this style of politics is part of a global trend. Uh, the traditional political norms and the world order of the last few decades that helped establish that are crumbling in response and mostly incapable of containing this trend. And journalists, at least from more traditional backgrounds, uh, have been kind of flailing in their attempts to describe it, to, to name it. So words are used like uh, populism, nationalism, authoritarianism, sometimes accurately, um, and then also sometimes less so. Trump himself is embracing the nationalism moniker um, more recently. But the word on my mind today is fascism. It's a scary word, and I don't just mean fascism is scary, um, It is, but it's scary to also publicly try to describe something as fascism because uh, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, and it gets very personal very quickly when brought up in a social media exchange. It's a history channel keyword. Um, We have a very specific uh, media image or images in our head that are queued up with that word. So it's almost impossible to talk about um, sans hysteria. So I just want to say a couple of things about fascism, since it's just me sitting here doing this podcast. You might as well finish it at this point, so you're stuck hearing me out. Um, There are a lot of books and other podcasts and various academic works describing what fascism is, And it's difficult because it's almost always contextual. It can be distinguished between specific fascist governments and fascism as a style of rhetoric and politics. For the sake of today, we'll focus more on the latter, um, with occasional deference to the former, and roughly define it in the way uh, the people have uh, that people have talked about neo-fascism as a. post-World War II, ultra-nationalist, socially conservative, authoritarian style of seeking power and implementing ideology. So, demagoguery of the other, glorification of authorities like the military and police as uh, sort of the only true authority, um, latching on to certain puritanical aspects of religious culture, like uh, traditional gender roles and... uh, suppression of LGBTQ rights, um, while attaching a, a, a zero-sum scarcity principle to things like human rights and uh, resource and wealth distribution. There's not enough room for everybody. We, uh, we have everything the way we like it, and these scary foreign people are coming to change everything, to take everything. Or, as was uh, stated 
in the opening argument of the 2016 campaign, they're bringing drugs, they're rapists, and some, I believe, are good people, or I imagine are good people. So, now there's a, there's a couple of social science lenses that can be tried on in this discussion. Um, one is a structural view of the uh, uh, conditions that might lead to fascism, and uh, this is a view more sociological in nature, one about history and, uh, and movements. Is fascism a feature enabled by certain economic systems? Is it an inevitability of modernity? Um, my suspicion is yes on both of those questions, and I encourage you to wrestle with that. Um, but I'd like to maybe tackle... Um, uh, a messier question today, uh, a question of the personal individual psychology of susceptibility to fascist politics. Um, now it doesn't, the individual psychology, um, I don't believe operates in a, in a complete vacuum from, um, the sociological questions in the broader context of cult of, uh, societies. So, um, I just want to do that sort of disclaimer. Um, but the individual aspect, the psychological aspect, I think somehow gets overplayed in our national discussion while at the same time completely ignoring any substance on the matter. So we'll try to be a bit more academic than anecdotal and look at the work of um, Wilhelm, Wilhelm Reich. Uh, Wilhelm wrote a book called Massen psychology des fascismus or the mass psychology of fascism. I took uh, a semester of German. So um, in this book, uh, Reich uh, proposed the, that the German people gravitated toward the Nazi party, not because of systemic conditions, but because communication style of the Nazi party um, connected with a part of the subconscious of the German people. Now, a lot of this theory had to do with sex, uh, specifically sexual suppression. Um, so Reich wrote, uh, suppression of the natural sexual... Sex- <laughs> suppression of the natural sexuality in the child, particularly of its genital sexuality, makes the child apprehensive, shy, obedient, afraid of authority good and adjusted in the authoritarian sense. It paralyzes the rebellious forces because any rebellion is laden with anxiety. It produces, by inhibiting sexual curiosity and sexual thinking in the child, a general inhibition of thinking and of critical faculties. In brief, the, social, the goal of sexual suppression is that of producing an individual who is adjusted to the authoritarian order and who will submit to it in spite of all misery and degradation. At first, the child has to submit to the structure of the authoritarian uh, miniature state, the family. This makes it capable of later subordination to the general authoritarian system. The, for- the formation of the authoritarian structure takes place through the anchoring of sexual inhibition and anxiety. So Reich proposes that uh, the in for fascist rhetoric and the aspiring fascist leader, the way to really get into people's brains to get that buy-in is not through the front door, but to kind of sneak through a basement window. 
through through the subconscious. It's hard to get more subconscious than formative sexual repression and frustration. He also hints uh, at later in the book, expounds on the concept of the authoritarian family structure as sort of the training ground for the receptiveness uh, to fascistic rhetoric, which appeals to authority and hierarchy uber alles. Um, So as with many psychoanalytic theories, we can sort out broader insights without getting stuck in the weeds of more questionable or dated conclusions. Psychology is a constantly changing field. So whether or not you accept a Freudian uh, ancient hypothesis of sexual repression as a training for fascism, it's helpful to ask questions like, does cultural or religious shame often manifested in sexual repression. Uh, Can that be an indicator of someone's tendency to receive a fear-based or scapegoating message? Uh, So personally, as a Christian, it's incredibly frustrating, but crucial also to acknowledge that religion is perhaps the most preferred historical tool um, used to consolidate power and manipulate hearts and minds. I think it's especially interesting um, to pay attention to concepts thrown around like protect our culture and protect Western values and even phrases like pro-life and Christian nation and religious freedom. Um, phrases, phrases and words that can definitely, uh, um, you know, dictionary definition can mean one thing, but the context and the... Uh, intent the intent of how it's used can mean something else um and by using those by appealing to nostalgic and formative concepts rhetoric can really write a narrative that seeds support for some pretty terrifying policies uh a lot of the culture war stuff is completely ridiculous um Starbucks cups and bathroom fights and the war on Christmas and whatever. But I do think that there's some substance to it as well behind the silliness. Based on theories, uh, um, structured resolution of developmental stages form a lot of the beliefs about ourselves and about the world uh, that we carry on through adulthood. Beliefs about trust, safety, responsibility, insecurities, traumas, perhaps even sexual repression, that resonate with aggrieved messages about things not being like they used to, about PC culture run amok, about weakness, about losing power, um, and that the only way to turn the tide It's not through solidarity with the marginalized, not through loving your neighbor as yourself, but through anything that carries the promise of power, of uh, um, vengeance or retribution, of masculinity or um, national pride, um, and vicariously um, sort of uh, living these concepts through... um, strong or leaders that are perceived as strong or 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 um, yell that they have the answers or something like that as global fascism continues to 
trend upward. And as liberal democracies come to grips with their limitations to do anything besides hope for, as uh, Obama put it, the for the fever to break. Um, and by the way, it's probably not going to break regardless of the outcome of these um, of, of elections. Um, not to minimize their importance, but that's a side rabbit trail. So despite that hope, it's going to be important to learn about the history and, uh, and to synthesize that with the insights available to us through social science. Because I don't think these, uh, I don't think this phenomenon is, uh, is going anywhere. And, uh, I lose, uh, probably a bit of sleep over that, but that's, that's what we're faced with. Uh, that's all for today. Thanks so much for listening to Off Baseline. Um, if you haven't subscribed, you can, um, do that through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me on Twitter. My personal handle is actually now at Schmate Staley. Uh, or you can follow the show's Twitter um, more consistently. That's going to be at Off Baseline. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it by taking two minutes, maybe three, maybe one. I don't know how fast you do things. Uh, leave a brief review on iTunes app slash Apple Podcasts. Um, I'm always going to call it iTunes. I don't care how many times you rebrand Apple. Do you hear me? Um, so that's always super helpful to leave those reviews. Um, you can also start a conversation, engage one of the show's tweets or Facebook posts or whatever. Um, you can also find all content. Uh, related to the show at offbaseline.com and uh, that's that's all the plugs I have uh, thanks so much for listening it, it means a lot I really do appreciate um, all of you and I'm glad that you are still here <laughs> despite my uh, extended hiatus and uh, uh, until next time uh, which is hopefully soon be well <laughs>